Hello, everyone. I'm Warren Smith in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm Natasha Smith coming to you this week from Colorado Springs. And we'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. Each week, Warren and I bring you news about Christian ministries, as well as the latest in charity and philanthropy, all designed to help us become better stewards of the resources God has entrusted to us. On today's program, the death of Ravi Zacharias due to cancer has caused some Christians to start promoting alternative therapies. We examine both their claims and their effectiveness. We also look at how the COVID-19 pandemic has affected the nation's food banks. Also on today's program, we look at the new rules that will impact our nation's nonprofits. But first, the death of George Floyd. His death at the hands of Minneapolis police has prompted outrage across the country, but is also a strong response from the nation's churches and Christian ministries. Yeah, this week, the leaders from two of the largest faith groups in the United States, the Southern Baptists and the Roman Catholics, issued statements lamenting the death of George Floyd and calling for an end to racial inequality. Leaders of the Southern Baptist Convention, including SBC President J.D. Greer, the heads of the denomination's national entities and seminaries, and the leaders of state conventions and officers of the SBC all issued a joint statement grieving the death of George Floyd and calling on all Americans to examine the nation's history of unequal justice. Yeah, that statement read in part as a convention of churches committed to the equality and dignity of all people, Southern Baptists grieve the death of George Floyd, who was killed May 25, 2020, in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And it goes on to say, while all must grieve, we understand that in the hearts of our fellow citizens of color, incidents like these connect to a long history of unequal justice in our country, going back to the grievous Jim Crow and slavery eras. The images and information we have available to us in this case are horrific and remind us that there is much more work to be done to ensure that there's not even a hint of racial inequity in the distribution of justice in our country. We grieve to see examples of the misuse of force and call for these issues to be addressed with speed and justice. The statement also gives thanks to law enforcement officers who uphold justice with dignity and integrity, but it also lamented when some law enforcement officers misuse their authority and bring unnecessary harm on the people that they're called to protect. Southern Baptist leaders also spoke of the Bible's condemnation of injustice and the need to follow the example of Jesus. This from the statement. Therefore, as a matter of Christian obedience and devotion, followers of Jesus Christ cannot remain silent when our brothers and sisters, friends, and or people we seek to win to Christ are mistreated, abused, or killed unnecessarily. Now, the U.S. Catholic bishops also issued a statement. They did, and that statement was in some ways similar uh, to the Southern Baptist statement. Uh, It reads in part, we're brokenhearted, sickened, and outraged to watch another video of an African-American man being killed before our very eyes. 
what's more astonishing is that this is happening within mere weeks of several other such occurrences. This is the latest wake-up call that needs to be answered by each of us in a spirit of determined conversion. We cannot turn a blind eye to these atrocities and yet still try to profess to respect every human life. We serve a God of love, mercy, and justice. Now, at least one Christian ministry has been responding in to the unrest in a tangible way. Yeah, that's right. The Billy Graham Rapid Response Team sent trained chaplains to Minneapolis to support the community there experiencing this time of crisis surrounding the death of George Floyd. Uh, Jack Monday is the international director of the RRT, the Rapid Response Team, and he said this, our chaplains have specialized training and experience and are coming from all across the United States to share God's hope in Minneapolis. And he mentioned that the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association had called Minneapolis home for the first 50 years of its existence. Now, Warren, our next story is also one of Christian ministries working in difficult circumstances, and this one's among the homeless in the city of San Francisco. Yeah, the homeless population of San Francisco has already been in the news lately, especially because of the tremendous growth in the homeless population there and because of unsanitary conditions. We've seen a lot of stories over the last few months of people defecating on sidewalks, of homeless encampments that have sort of taken over parks and alleys, and in some cases, even streets. And the COVID-19 pandemic has exacerbated the challenges of an already overflowing homeless population. Yeah, San Francisco's shelter-in-place guidelines took effect in mid-March, and that left some of the city's 9,000 homeless people without a place to go as the homeless shelters tightened down on their numbers to comply with social distancing requirements. To ease some of that strain, city officials encouraged the homeless to camp out on neighborhood streets. Tents were handed out, some by local organizations and businesses, and others by neighborhood officials. These tents now cram the streets of poor neighborhoods uh, all throughout San Francisco, but especially in places like the Tenderloin District, where the number of tents within its 35-block area has swelled to more than 400. That's more than a 200% increase since the COVID-19 lockdown. Also, there's feces, uh, used needles, and trash all around the landscape. Drug sales are taking place right out in the open. Residents and business owners say that they don't feel safe walking outside, and which prompted some to join with Hastings College of Law located in that neighborhood to file a lawsuit against the city. This complaint filed on May 4 claims that the city is using the Tenderloin as a containment zone, allowing open-air drug sales and other criminal activity. And Warren, we mentioned all this to say that this is the environment in which some Christian ministries continue to work. Yeah, YWAM, Youth with a Mission, San Francisco, has worked in the Tenderloin since 1995, and they offer shower services, which they've expanded to 20 showers a day during the pandemic. Uh, team members bleach surfaces after each shower and provide hygiene kits and socks to the people that are using their facilities. On Thursdays, the team hosts a weekly food pantry. Uh, the same day that Hastings Law School and Tenderloin 
Tenderloin residents filed their lawsuit, the city did revise its COVID-19 plan. It recommended safe sleeping alternatives for the homeless, more police presence and health resources like uh, the hand-washing stations and of more of the kind that YWAM is providing there as well. But a lot of people, including those who filed the original lawsuit, say that that plan essentially masks the problem instead of clearing the streets and housing the homeless. Yeah, the city has already spent tens of millions of dollars on homelessness. Uh, For example, the city's acquired more than 2,300 hotel rooms and RVs for the homeless, but less than 1,300 of them are even occupied. Uh, The San Francisco Department of Public Health is providing free alcohol and tobacco and other drugs in what they're calling a harm reduction therapy for those who actually do stay in the hotel room. So in effect, they're bribing homeless people with alcohol and drugs to go stay in these hotel rooms that they've paid for. Um, It's really kind of a crazy situation and calling a lot of people to say that these policies are actually incentivizing uh, bad behavior and prevents hospital care for life-threatening alcohol withdrawal. Well, it doesn't seem smart to give alcoholics alcohol and call that being helpful. Yeah, that's right. All in all, Christopher Rufo, who is the director of the Discovery Institute Center for Wealth and Poverty, uh, said that the city's approach to homelessness is all compassion and no responsibility. But I wouldn't call it compassionate if you're giving people the very things they need to destroy themselves. So are Christian groups providing any alternatives? Well, they are. We've already mentioned YWAM, of course, Youth with a Mention. Local ministries within the city are also extending compassion uh, while sharing the gospel as well. Uh, City Team San Francisco has continued its residential men's program. It's a homeless shelter, despite discontinuing uh, volunteer shifts. In other words, they're having trouble finding volunteers to fill all of the volunteer spots that they have there at the shelter. Uh, They've more than tripled the number of of meals served uh, through their distribution programs. Uh, The director of City Team San Francisco, Christian Huang, founded a fleet of mobile food trucks called Mobilize Love to deliver hot meals, groceries, and hygiene supplies to residents all throughout the city. And nearby, the Bay Area Rescue Mission is also providing gospel-centric services. They're helping people, but requiring the people they help to take some responsibility for their own recoveries. Now, Warren, we have to take a break, but when we return... We'll look at organizations that promote alternative cancer cures and how some of them claim to be Christian organizations. I'm Warren Smith in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm Natasha Smith in Colorado Springs. And we'll be back after this short break. Hello everyone, I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com.
Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch Weekly Podcast. Up next, a First Amendment victory in Portland for a pro-life ministry. That's right. The Pacific Justice Institute has successfully negotiated a settlement uh, for street evangelist Mark Mayberry's federal lawsuit against the city of Portland. Uh, the Portland City Council approved a $50,000 settlement last week. Now, Portland has a well-earned reputation for being hostile towards Christians who share their views in the public square. That, according to Ray Hack, who is the Pacific Justice Institute's Oregon-based staff attorney. But pro-life and other Christian activists are hoping that this settlement will make Portland a more tolerant city. Mark Mayberry has been holding a sign defending the unborn, passing out related tracts, and engaging people in conversations about abortion and the gospel when he was confronted by a park officer who ordered him to leave. Yeah, when Mayberry refused to leave, asserting his constitutionally protected right of free speech, uh, the park officer issued Mayberry a citation, and they also excluded him from using the park for 30 days. Up next is the story that I promised before the break. When we first announced the famed apologist Ravi Zacharias was sick with cancer several weeks ago, Ministry Watch was inundated with emails promoting alternative cancer therapies, and many of these appeared to be from Christian organizations, and the language of these organizations made it clear that they were targeting Christian audiences. Yeah, so we had our writer, Steve Raby, take a look into some of the organizations that we were getting emails about, and what he found raised a caution flag for us. Can you give us some examples? Yeah, I can. But first, I should acknowledge that cancer is indeed a killer. It's the second leading cause of death in the United States after heart disease. So there's no surprise here, I guess, that people seek hope and healing uh, in the face of what is often a very grim diagnosis. But what is surprising is that so many Christians seem to be putting their faith in a host of unproven, unregulated, and in some cases, of potentially deadly cures offered by dozens and dozens of Mexican clinics and treatment centers. One example is the Oasis of Hope Hospital in Tijuana, Mexico. It was one of several organizations that Ministry Watch readers asked us to look into. It's also one of the oldest and biggest of the 60 or more such facilities that are below the border. Now, what sort of claims do they make? Well, Oasis of Hope says that it's a world leader in alternative cancer treatments with close to 50 years of experience. It also uh, mentions in its marketing material that that's 20 years more experience than Cancer Treatment Center of America, which is a well-known treatment center here in the United States that does have to follow all of the U.S. regulatory requirements. It's also critical of mainstream cancer treatments treatments, which is a subtle way of connecting with those whose cancers haven't yet responded to treatment or who are frustrated by the process or the cost of mainstream cancer treatments. 
Now, speaking of costs, what are the fees associated with Oasis of Hope? Yeah, the clinic doesn't publish its costs for treatment on its website, but uh, an organization called Heal Navigator, which is a site that helps people find treatments in Mexico, says that the clinic's costs are $19,000 for an 18-day core treatment program and $28,000 for a 21-day, three-week enhanced program that comes, of course, with additional treatments. These rates include a private room with two beds and meals. We also saw a 21-day treatment program at another facility that cost about $30,000 plus another $5,000 for maintenance, supplies, and vitamins. Now, you say that these facilities target Christians. Why do you say that? Uh, Well, they're not often self-identifying as Christian ministries, but they target people of faith, often mentioning faith and prayer in its testimonials and marketing materials. It also celebrates the facility's founder, uh, Dr. Ernesto Contreras. One article on the organization's website described a session led by Dr. Contreras, and it mentioned prayer and holding hands in a circle and testimonials from people that um, clearly have a faith component. All of this sounds questionable, but is it illegal? Well, given the promises they make, they would be illegal if they were here in the United States, which is why there are so many in Mexican cities that are easily accessible to customers here in the U.S. Many of them also violate Mexican law, but the Mexican government is often slow to close them down, and they typically reopen again just with a new name. Now, Warren... We don't have time to go into all the details about this article, so how could people find this to learn more? Yeah, I do recommend that they read Steve Raby's article because you're right. I've just sort of hit the tip of the iceberg here. Steve did a fantastic job with this article. It's fairly long, but I do think it goes into a lot of great detail. Just go to ministrywatch.com and you'll find the article right on the front page. Now, Warren, before we go to break, you have an update on the Christian Post story that we've been following for months now. Yeah, I guess you could call this an update. I mentioned to you last week that the former president of the Christian Post uh, was supposed to be sentenced this week. Uh, he, William Anderson is his name, and he pled guilty to a $35 million fraud involving money laundering and misrepresentation of page views on the Christian Post website in order to generate excess advertising revenue. But we learned this week that that sentencing has once again been pushed back until July. Now, this is the second time that his sentence has been pushed back. Should we read anything into that? Well, a lot of people following this case think that William Anderson might be uh, turning state's evidence, that uh, he got a plea deal. There's already been a great deal of speculation in the media that he will not serve jail time. The first um, delay in sentencing was supposedly because of the COVID-19 crisis, but the courts are back in session now. Um, A lot of people think that, that this one's being delayed because he's had extended negotiations with the district attorney in the state of New York, or literally in the city of New York. So we'll keep you posted on this. And we're going to take another quick break. But when we return, food pantries need our help. I'm Natasha Smith with my co-host, Warren Smith. More in a moment. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. 
Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Up next, the nation's food pantries need our help. Yeah, local food pantries around the country are struggling to meet demand. As many as one-third of food pantries nationally have closed uh, for at least some of the time, maybe not the entire pandemic era, but uh, for some of the time over the last couple of months. And others have had to radically change the way that they do business. Instead of letting clients come into their facilities, as they have typically done in the past, and just grab what they need, now they must prepare more standardized packages of food for curbside pickup. A recent survey of 200 food banks by the Feeding America Network also found that more than half had reduced inventory levels. Yeah, take Austin, Texas as an example. Derek Chubbs is the CEO of the Central Texas Food Bank, and he said that about 15% of the city's food pantries have shut down during the pandemic, though most, he said, have reopened with new volunteers and a new game plan. Chubbs said that from February to March, new clients increased 200%, while food donations from grocery stores were down 80%. Now, the closure of schools has increased dependence of low-income families on these food banks. Free lunches at schools disappeared for millions of children. Yeah, however, some nonprofits have partnered with schools to turn um, those school buildings themselves into food distribution centers. For example, in Youngstown, Ohio, Second Harvest Food Bank has created about 40 pop-up food pantries, many of them in the local schools. Second Harvest plans to open about 60 more pop-up food banks in Mahoning, Trumbull, and Columbiana counties. These are all counties that surround Youngstown. And according to Al Muller of Excellence in Giving, food pantries are a good place to give your local philanthropic dollars. He said that they already are active in providing food to the hungry in their local community. Uh, That means in part that they've already torn down a lot of the logistical barriers in the supply chain. They've got relationships with food manufacturers and distributors to receive food at deeply discounted prices. They're just in a particularly acute need right now. And Warren, I know that some of our listeners might not be able to give financially and others might want to do more than simply give money. What would you suggest for those people? Well, you know, I already suggested, Natasha, that some of these food banks are really struggling because they don't have volunteers. So that would be something really great for some of our listeners to do if they're of a mind. In fact, the Christian Science Monitor said that nationwide, as many as 10,800 pantries and meal programs have had to shut down. And a key reason, not enough volunteers, because, of course, many of them are sheltering at home. And many are also run by seniors who are in a particularly high-risk category. And, of course, they, too, have to stay at home. So 
this would be a great time to, if you've never volunteered at a food pantry, to make it a first for you. Now, one of the things that we like to do here at Ministry Watch Podcast is to keep our listeners up to date on legal and regulatory changes. And sometimes these stories can be kind of dry, or they might even be a little bit boring, but you have a story today about regulations that should cause us to perk up. And what is that? Well, politically active tax-exempt organizations, these are the so-called 501c4 organizations, no longer have to file information about their top donors to the Internal Revenue Service. Up until now, 501c4 organizations had to disclose the names of major donors on what was called Schedule of their IRS Form 990. See, that's kind of what I'm talking about, kind of a little bit dry, a little bit boring. So what does this mean and why should we care? Yeah, there were a lot of numbers and forms uh, in that description, Natasha, but the rule change is important for a couple of reasons. First, a lot of Christian groups have maintained that their donors have been harassed because they have to be disclosed on these Schedule Bs. A lot of our listeners, in fact, will remember when the president of the tech company Mozilla was forced to resign because he had given a relatively small contribution to a group that supports traditional families. Yeah, Brendan Ike, he was the co-founder of Mozilla, and that happened back in 2014. Well, pro-gay activists had gotten his name from the Form 990 of a pro-family group, um, and they publicized his relatively small contribution. I mean, this guy's a multimillionaire, and he had made a $1,000 contribution, but that relatively small contribution was plastered all over the media. With this new rule change, that kind of intimidation can't happen. Well, that's good. But Warren, I can't help but point out that Ministry Watch is usually in favor of more disclosure, not less. Uh, And you sound like you're kind of in favor of this new rule change, even though it results in people not being able to see the donor list. Well, you're right, Natasha, and probably it does require a bit of an explanation. It sounds like it could be a contradiction. But what was happening is that organizations that had formerly been 501c4s had started hiding behind and other classifications to avoid this disclosure requirement. Some were getting reclassified even as churches. Others were delaying their filings so that even if they had to ultimately disclose, they would file extensions and delay that disclosure as long as possible. And it's also important to note that donations of more than $5,000 still have to be disclosed. So, We're still in favor here at Ministry Watch of transparency, but we think this rule change will ultimately be good for free speech and for ministry transparency. Well, we're running out of time, Warren, and you've got a couple of housekeeping matters to attend to. Uh, What are they? Well, first, just a reminder that last week we started posting Bobby Ross's weekend plug-in on our website every Saturday. Uh, We've been a a five-day-a-week content producer up until now, but we're excited to start offering Bobby's column every Saturday, and it's essentially a digest of news and links to stories on what he calls the God beat, religion and ethics. Bobby is a seasoned journalist. There's just a lot of material in his column every week, and I'm really excited about having his byline and all of that material on the Ministry Watch website. It makes a great Saturday read. Secondly, every month we publish a list that we've curated from our database of the 500 largest Christian ministries in the country. This month's list is the 25 largest Christian 
advocacy groups in the country. And that list includes organizations such as the Family Research Council, the First Liberty Institute, and Alliance Defending Freedom. So if you want to see how these ministries compare, take a look at their financial efficiency ranking and their transparency grades. You can find that list by going to ministrywatch.com. In fact, if you'd like to read more about any of the stories that we discussed on today's program, just go to ministrywatch.com and you'll find them right on the front page. If you would like to dig around in the Ministry Watch archives of hundreds of articles and other great resources, use the search engine, which is also on the front page, to find what you're looking for. And also, before we go, I want to thank those of you that have made a recent contribution to Ministry Watch. Your gift is an encouragement to us, and it allows us to continue our vital work to bring transparency, accountability, and credibility to the Christian ministry marketplace. If you'd like to support our work, just go to Ministry Watch com and hit the donate button at the top of the page. I also want to remind you that this podcast continues to grow. If you're one of our new listeners, welcome. If you like what you've heard, I hope you'll be with us each and every week and that you'll tell a friend. And don't forget to rate us on your podcast app. It's absolutely free to rate us. doesn't take but a few seconds, and it really does help us out a lot. The producers for today's program are Rich Rosal and Steve Gandy. We get database and other technical support from Kathy Goddard, Stephen DeBerry, and Casey Suddeth. Writers who contributed to today's program include Steve Raby, Christina Darnell, Adele Banks, and Warren Smith. Thanks to our friends at the Nonprofit Times for contributing material to this week's program. I'm Natasha Smith in Colorado Springs. And I'm Warren Smith in Charlotte, North Carolina. And you've been listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. May God bless you.